You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The report of Chinese supply chain seeding attacks comes in for more skepticism. NSA never heard of it, and Congress would like some answers. The U.S. has an officer of Chinese MSS in front of a Cincinnati court on charges of industrial espionage. He was extradited this week from Belgium. We've got notes on officers and agents. And Russia repeats denials of hacking the Organization for the Prevention of Chemical Warfare. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 11th, 2018. Bloomberg's report of a large-scale Chinese seeding attack on the hardware supply chain has yet to find much corroboration. As we noted yesterday, Bloomberg itself cited a Maryland security firm, Sepio Systems, willing to say that it had found the Chinese spy chips in some supermicro motherboards used in one of its clients' servers. But it can't say where it found them because of non-disclosure agreements with that company. It can only say that it was a telecommunications company. To review, Apple, Amazon, and Supermicro, the three companies named in the original story, have all categorically denied that the hardware they used, or in the case of Supermicro produced, was compromised by an illicitly installed chip. Both Britain's GCHQ and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security say they have no reason to doubt those denials, and DHS has also said it's not conducting any investigation into the alleged seeding attack on the supply chain. NSA's Rob Joyce, the agency's senior advisor for cybersecurity strategy, is the latest official to cast doubt on the report. At an event in Washington yesterday organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Real Clear Politics, Joyce said, quote, there's no there there, end quote. That is, he hasn't seen any evidence that the supply chain attack took place. He pointed out the denials by Apple, Amazon, and others should count for something, since their directness and specificity would expose the companies to considerable legal risk if the denials were untrue. As he said in response to a question from the Wall Street Journal, quote, What I can't find are any ties to the claims in the article. We're befuddled. If someone has first-degree knowledge, can hand us a board and point to somebody in a company that was involved in this as claimed, we want to talk to them, end quote. So it appears NSA doesn't see the malicious chip either. 
Congress is pushing its own investigation. Apple has already sent the Senate a letter, and Senators Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, and Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, have asked Super Micro to reply to a series of questions about the alleged incident. Senator John Thune, a Republican of South Dakota, requested staff briefings from Apple, Amazon, and Supermicro by Friday. In the House, Oversight Committee Chair Representative Trey Gowdy, Republican of South Carolina, and Intelligence Committee Chair Devin Nunez, Republican of California, have asked for classified briefings on the matter from the FBI, DHS, and the Director of National Intelligence. They want those briefings by October 22nd. More will therefore probably come to light over the next two weeks, but for now at least, the best most other parties can say about the Bloomberg story is that it's not proven. Others are harsher. Security firm Malwarebytes calls it the Bloomberg blunder. Google security researcher Tavis Ormandy tweeted his skepticism by saying that this is starting to feel like chemtrail territory. And two experts quoted in the story... Joe Grand of Grand Idea Studio and Joe Fitzpatrick of Hardware Security Resources both say their statements were taken out of context and don't in fact support the reporter's conclusions. So at best, not proven, and increasingly looking as if the story won't be. Bloomberg continues to stand by its reporting. Security firm Veronis recently surveyed both IT and C-suite professionals to gauge their perceptions on data breach prevention. Brian Vecchi is technical evangelist at Veronis, and he joins us with what they found. 91% of IT and cybersecurity pros believe that their organization is making progress when it comes to cybersecurity, while the C-suite was less positive. Only 69% uh, agreed with the same thing. Um, More than half of C-suite respondents and about half of IT and cyber pros identified data loss as their number one priority, uh, number one concern, I should say, followed by data theft. But what they thought was the third priority differed a little bit. Cybersecurity pros and IT pros are really worried about ransomware, which has been one of the biggest scourges recently, and and C-suite executives are more worried about data alteration, which I think is pretty interesting. What do you think is the source of, of that little disconnect there between the uh, the IT pros thinking that they're making progress and the C-suite maybe not thinking they're as far along? I think that's probably the most interesting thing that's come out of this survey is that kind of discrepancy between IT and security pros thinking, hey, we're making big investments in technology and cybersecurity, and we're making some pretty big progress with regards to our security posture. C-suite executives don't seem to share that same view. And I think it comes from how we measure the ROI, the return on investment for security spending. And it also comes with how we measure or tend not to measure the risk associated with data loss and data theft. Uh, you know, for for C-suite executives, one of the, the 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 sense that we get from this survey is that security is kind of a binary uh, situation. You've either been breached or not. And what was interesting is that the C-suite executives believe that the the biggest issue with cybersecurity is recovery costs. You know, if you get breached, how expensive is it going to be to clean things up? Uh, whereas IT and cybersecurity pros are more concerned with reputational and brand damage. How is this going to affect our business? Uh, In some cases, is this going to, you know, mean the end of the business completely? And I found that really, really interesting. It's the IT pros that realize 
these security issues have really deep connections with how the business is run. Well, C-suite executives think, well, we really just have to worry about the recovery costs. And I think that's because uh, cybersecurity pros and the security community in general hasn't yet done a really good job of showing business leaders the measurable risk and risk reduction of security investments and what security actually means for their business. So how do you suppose the cyber pros go about bridging that gap? I I think it's kind of a messaging uh, issue. It's Mm -hmm. cyber pros have to do a better job of explaining to business leaders and showing them not only the scale of the problem, but exactly how investments in cybersecurity can make a measurable difference in their business. I spent some time recently with a group of CIOs, and we had a really interesting conversation about this um, that was based on uh, investments related to the GDPR, which, as I'm sure you know, is the EU General Data Protection Regulation. Mm -hmm. And this group of CIOs is in the United States, uh, and they were kind of split on whether they had a real mandate to make big changes to their organizations from a technology perspective because of a law that may or may not affect them. Um, And one of the things that came out as part of that discussion was, you know, there are going to be real costs with putting the kinds of controls in place to keep data private that the GDPR mandates. And should we do this now, even if maybe as an organization, we're not subject to these kinds of controls, or should we wait until, for instance, the California Consumer Privacy Act goes into effect and we have a real mandate to do it? Hmm. Um, some CIOs and some business leaders are thinking that way, but others are realizing that you know, putting the kind of controls that the GDPR says you need to have when it comes to data, which is really just treating personal information as something that's kind of valuable and not something that you can just throw in a junk drawer and not worry about, which is how many organizations have treated data in the past, can give them a competitive advantage. Because who wants to do business as a consumer or as a business partner with an organization that doesn't take data privacy and security seriously? But how we measure the effect of those investments and how we measure the risk of not doing anything just to boil things down to their simplest forms, is something that IT and cybersecurity pros haven't been great at. And it shows up in the results of these surveys where the C-suite executives don't see the same kinds of results that IT and cybersecurity pros see when it comes to security investment. That's Brian Vecchi from Veronis. You can find the results from their data breach prevention survey on their website. In the first incident of its kind... An officer of the Chinese Intelligence Service, the Ministry of State Security, MSS, is in U.S. custody facing hacking charges. Yan Jun Zhu, a deputy division director in MSS's Zhangzhou State Security Department, 6th Bureau, was apprehended by Belgian authorities in April and extradited to the U.S. on Tuesday. The Department of Justice says he'll be tried for conspiring and attempting to commit economic espionage and steal trade secrets from multiple U.S. aviation and aerospace companies. It's an industrial espionage beef, and it will be tried in Cincinnati, near where the alleged attempted theft of trade secrets from GE Aviation occurred. Zhu used traditional espionage approaches as opposed to more 21st century cyber attacks. He would attempt to recruit U.S. agents by offering them, for example, invitations to academic conferences at Zhangzhou, and then work on them to deliver the information the MSS was after. He himself was apprehended using traditional counterespionage approaches, 
U.S. officers lured him to Belgium, where Belgium authorities arrested him on the U.S. warrant. The Washington Post reports that Zhu's case is linked to that of Xi Shakun, a Chinese citizen living in Chicago. China's reaction has been relatively moderate. The Post reports that the foreign ministry said the indictment was made of thin air, but that they expect the U.S. to deal with Zhu fairly in accordance with law, respecting his legitimate rights and interests. Some observers suggest that the arrest, trial, and extradition of a Chinese intelligence officer will prompt strong Chinese retaliation in cyberspace. And perhaps it already has. U.S. officials this week have been naming China as the principal cyber threat, worse than Russia, which itself is pretty bad. A quick note as we follow these stories on the difference between an officer and an agent. An officer is someone who works for an intelligence service as a regular employee. An agent is someone that an officer might recruit to spy for that service. Thus, Aldrich Ames, currently serving life for espionage in a U.S. federal prison, was an American officer. He was employed by the CIA, but a Russian agent. He spied for the KGB and its successor agencies. Zhu is an MSS officer. Threat intelligence firm Recorded Future contrasts the Russian and Chinese hacking communities, respectively, thieves and geeks. This is from its analysis of their online hacking communities. Part of the difference lies in China's relatively greater separation from the two countries' mostly Western targets. There's not only the barrier of the Great Firewall, but also the separation imposed by quite different language families. And of course, there are cultural issues as well. Russia makes use of traditional criminals to serve the state as they enrich themselves. China uses its security services to help enrich the state. And finally, TASS is authorized to declare that Russia strongly denies having hacked the Organization for the Prevention of Chemical Warfare. They were framed, Moscow says, by Dutch security services, probably in cahoots with their Anglo-American masters. We await further clarity about the GRU hackers and Novichok specialists and their interests in Stonehenge, tulips, windmills, and canals. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. 
You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, it's uh, good to have you back. Um, We have been going through a couple of interesting cases that came through Florida recently, and uh, there was one that had to do with cell site location information. Uh, Bring us up to date what's going on here. Sure. So this is another uh, Court of Appeals decision uh, from the state court in Florida, and it was actually a cell site location information case dating back to 2001, the early days of cellular telephones, hmm. or maybe the, the middle ages of cellular telephones. And what happened is the government was able to use cell site location information uh, to locate a person charged with first degree murder. That person was convicted largely based on the evidence gained through that cell site location information. Uh, Then this year, we had a Supreme Court decision in Carpenter v. United States, which informed us that the government uh, government needs a warrant to obtain cell site location information. Now, usually this is not a problem for law enforcement. There's this thing in the legal world, uh, in the um, Fourth Amendment world, called the good faith exception. Hmm. And if the government is relying on clear rules that are in place at the time, the conviction will stand even if those rules are subsequently changed by uh, the Supreme Court. Hmm. So if something was legal in 2001 and the Supreme Court suddenly decides it's illegal in 2018, traditionally – um, that means a conviction can't be overturned. The law enforcement was working with the tools that they had been given. That is actually not the case here, uh, because in this case, there was no legal doctrine at all in this area of the law. There was no decision saying that a warrant is not required for cell site location information. And in the absence of any sort of guidance, the good faith exception can't apply. So this person is going to be granted a new trial Um, and the state will have to use evidence that wasn't gleaned from the historical cell site location information. So uh, a retroactive uh, decision, uh, what, a a decade and a half or so uh, back? Yeah, it's probably very devastating for the prosecutors and for the attorney general of the state of Florida. Uh, But, you know, this is what happens when the Supreme Court decides that we have a reasonable expectation of privacy and information gleaned from um, a certain type of technology, then the end result is going to be that some undesirable people, people who have committed heinous crimes, are uh, either going to be set free or going to get their day in court. And, you know, traditionally the good faith exception allows us to avoid these types of situations. But since there was no prevailing law on the question of uh, warrants for cell site location information, the state is really out of luck here. Hmm. All right. Well, it's fascinating to uh, to track along with it. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. 
proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.